It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Sutherland, and this will now be the fourth part of our exclusive series on behalf of Charlton Athletic Communities Trust with Keith Peacock. Now, uh, we've covered the 60s and 70s, Keith's career. We also talked about the 80s when Keith spent the majority of the time away. And in the last edition, we talked about the 90s. And of course, we finished there on the um, last day of the season when we got relegated. So uh, we're going to pick that up in a moment with Keith from that last game of the season time when we got relegated back into the Football League after one season in the Champion in the Premier League. But um, as I said before, this is a series that is put together um, for the Charlton Athletic Community Trust with our great friends at Charlton Live, who, who have done us proud with this series. We're, we're really pleased with all the help we've had from them. But as you've probably seen, if you're monitoring all the uh, social media and the message boards and, and the uh, websites, CAPT is working so hard at the moment on the community hub with the Royal Borough of Greenwich. And it's supporting very vulnerable local residents by delivering food parcels and collecting prescriptions, telephoning vulnerable people, people who might need a little bit of morale boosting. All that is going on as we speak in the Greenwich Community Hub. And it's an awesome programme. And that's not, that's not on its own. Cats, other programmes are still going ahead, including the extra time hub for our older uh, fans and our older people. So, if you uh, consider you've enjoyed these, and I hope you have, and judging by the comments, and we really appreciate your comments, you have, please consider making a donation to CAT at the end of this. Uh, you can do that, and I'll give you the address later on. So, let's get cracking again and welcome the man himself back again. Hi, Keith, you okay? I see. Very well, thank you. Um, Keith, if you remember, we we finished the 90s on the last, more or less, the last game of that season and when we got relegated after one year in the Premier League, relegated back to the Football League. Um, but what we hadn't mentioned previous to that, um, which was probably a good place to start, is earlier, a little bit earlier, we'd signed one of the greats of football. We'd signed John Barnes, hadn't we? Indeed, we did, and um, he was just with us for a few months. wasn't really uh, at the peak of his career because obviously he was now coming right to the end of it. But he's still a magnificent player. And one particular game at West Ham when we won one nil, um, he, he was first game for about three or four months he had played full game. He was going down with cramp everywhere in his body. He could hardly move. But yet, for the last 25 minutes, he never gave a ball away. People no. kind of kept away from him anyway because he was such a skillful player. But he was hardly moving and he just kept the ball and showed what uh, a talent. It was a pleasure to have him uh, at the, uh, at, in the Charlton side 
and in the squad. I think he did a lot around the place. And oh, then, yes. That's the beauty of a player like that as well. Apart from, apart from the fact that they, you know, they're still very, very good footballers. It's what they bring around the club as well, isn't it, Keith? Yes, I was just going to say that what he did was his um, influence in the dressing room, and particularly what I remember him for, because now we are relegated, we are yeah. going down. Uh, the precious Premiership is uh, is behind us now. Yeah. Even though we went down with our heads held high, and many uh, the whole crowd clapping on that final day. Now we're in the training ground. It's uh, it's farewell to some and who are being let go, young ones being let go, other ones staying, and Curbs uh, said a few words, said a few words, and Barnsley got up at the end, and he made a lovely speech saying that it was a real pleasure. He's sorry he couldn't have played more games for the club during that time, uh, but he said, what you have here at Charlton is very, very special, and you will be back. They were his final words uh, as he as he left the club, and he was correct. He was correct, yeah. So we had to move on now, have our summer's rest, and a very important thing we did: we didn't sell many players. We sold Danny Mills uh, for four million, I believe it was. So, which was a lot of money for a, for a fullback at the, in, the, in those days, wouldn't you have agreed? It was an awful lot of money. And um, I think probably the, the most we had received for anyone at, at that time. And um, Millsy did a good job. He was with us for a, a season. And to get that money for a fullback was exceptional. And we were able to keep, and this was good management and, and good from the director's point of view, we were managed to keep Richard Rufus, Kinsella, Mendonca. These players stayed with us and, and the up-and-coming youngsters that were about at that time. So, I mean, I think we need to say that, uh, uh, really, Keith. An awful lot of people getting relegated after one year back into the Football League. Uh, an awful lot of boards uh, and, and CEOs, Peter and Richard Murray and that, um, might have insisted on a few sales. Yes, because the history of the club would always suggest that we would eventually always have to sell someone to keep things going. Um, so there must have been a real strong belief at that time um, to give Alan and yourself and Mervyn every opportunity to get, to get straight back. Yes, that was the whole idea of selling mills. We could spend a little bit of money on that. I don't know exactly how much, but we, we got people like um, Bill Hunty was about. and. Um, well, Dean Kiley came in, of course, didn't he? We had Dean Kiley come in and just strengthened the side. And Dean did very, very well. Although we had Sasha Ilitz at the time, Dean was probably, for me, one of the best goalkeepers that we've had ever at Charlton. I, I would agree with that. Without, obviously, Bob Boulder won't be listening to this. No. Because he'll still be um, on his bike somewhere. Yes. But he, he was well up there as well. But I think Dean Kiley, playing in that premiership for that time, was so influential um, in the seasons to come. No, absolutely. And um, we also, as you say, we had kept our players. So we, Chris Powell was already in place. Andy Hunt was already in place. And they'd had that year in the Premier League with us. Um, and as I said, we 
we'd only gone down on the last day. So there was no real need to panic and, and change the team dramatically, was there? No, we, uh, we didn't. And uh, being probably typical of what Charlton were building up at the time, it was steady. Uh, Kerbs was, at a, was very methodical in what he liked to do. Didn't like to take too many chances. He wanted to be certain we had a good all-round group there that had fought so well. So we kept the majority together and we had a, a reasonable... Start. Mendonca scored, I think, in the, uh, the first home game once again. Another hat-trick, um, if I remember correctly. Uh, although his season uh, was to be interrupted through injuries. But what we did do, and it was very important as we moved right into the season... We were playing Crystal Palace before Christmas sometime. Um, we beat them 2-1. Stilarco, of all people, he didn't play many games for us, our ex-Crystal Palace, and he scored what turned out to be the winning goal. We won 2-1. But what happened from that? It's a crucial time. Because what happened from there, we were doing quite well in the league, yeah. but we won 12 games on the trot. Now, to do that is just so exceptional. Not... not undefeated, 12, that's 36 points we've I mean, got. that really and broke, broke the back of, of an awful lot of our, of our um, opponents in those days in terms of promotion, vying with us for promotion. That really must have shattered them that we just kept winning. Yes, that was like um, being in a 1,500-metre race and then breaking the field at the halfway mark. Um, just past the halfway mark and bring the big gap between us and the others. It was it was incredible. I remember sitting one evening for an away game. We had won 10 games on the trot and uh, things like, oh, we, should we do this, should we do that? And I, I did turn around and say, look, to Mervyn and Curbs, we'd have an evening meal before a game. Look, just... I'm not one to say, have a bottle of wine. Let's have a bottle of wine tonight because you will never, ever... As long as you're in this game of football, have 10 wins on the trot. Well, we went on to have 12, and we did have that glass of wine, and we won that the following day. So, um, you have to... We, we did lose one game in between, but this is sometimes what happens. We lost it, but it was in the FA Cup against Bolton Wanderers. Yes. We lost 2-0 yes. away, and then beat them a week or so later in the league. That away game was beaten back to the Valley, uh, that cup game. And um, we had the, quite a big crowd at the Valley. But it was surreal. In terms of uh, the licence, we couldn't have the sound. So um, we had to sort of replicate the sound from Burnham Park then, wasn't it? Um, might have been. Um, to a, a quiet screen at the Valley. But we had so many fans there watching, watching the FA Cup being back. But it was quite surreal. But yes, we lost that one. And that was a bit of a surprise, as you say, because we've been on a run. Yes, no, that was a surprise, it, that was good. No, I, I, was, I was delighted because to keep winning, 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 you, you, you're you going to slip up. And we slipped up against the team in our own division and uh, that broke the sequence, but not really because in the league we kept going. And of course then what what happened, we, we kind of, we played Swindon on the 13th game uh, which would have made it uh, 13 wins. Swindon were bottom of the league. It was at the bad Dean Kiley had not made one mistake, I think, during the, the season as we're two-thirds of the way through it now. 
uh, or even more. And uh, he did make a mistake for the goal, but it was only the one goal from Swindon. Surely we'd still manage to get a draw at least, or even a win. But we could not score, and that was the end of that run. And we went on then. Well, I'm, I'm just on that Swindon one. Of course, I'd spent the previous season actually at Swindon Town. And uh, we went into that home game at Swindon. And Swindon were having, that's the reason why I left, but Swindon were having financial problems. And they couldn't afford to send their youth team to play in the tournament. And Peter said to me, Peter Varney said to me, shall we give them the, do- the proceeds of the 50-50 draw that day? And I said, well, that would be a nice gesture. Um, so Willie Carson, the director, receives the cheque before the game and then takes the three points as well. Yeah. Well, I didn't realise that was going on at the time the, the money was exchanging hands in different ways like this. We thought we were being it, kind to them and they took the three it, points. Uh, Charlton was so kind, even at moments like that, you see, to help Swinton out and uh, yeah. three points and money to, as well. Yeah. What a club. But then we got back on track after that, Keith, didn't we? Yes, you've, you've uh, gone and diverted away there, but I'm still on track for that season because we couldn't really get too many wins together for a while. We were so near that winning line. It was uh, We kept drawing, we won the odd one, then we lost. Other teams were still going. And in actual fact, we had arranged to have a, a, a getaway, hopefully a celebration, be the Varney... Mervyn Kerr's myself down to Bournemouth and it didn't quite happen because we had nothing to celebrate. We still needed another win. Yes. And when and we left on this Friday and the other teams were playing later on. Anyway, long story short on this, uh, we were all actually scouting at the game and seeing opposition play when the results went our way and we were rele- uh, we were promoted in that time without yeah. actually doing it on a Saturday when we were playing so that put us in back into the premiership and after that I think it was the Blackburn Rovers where we actually celebrated being champions and uh, yeah that was a one all draw wasn't it and I think we Peter Varney had done one of his operations that day hadn't he do you remember operation you would park or whatever it was where we <laughs> where we flood Blackburn with coaches and everyone, loads of fans. That's right. And uh, a one-all draw with uh, Matthias Svensson, who was with us. Um, another good player, Keith. Yes, we were getting lots of good, solid, sound players um, who were working for each other. Yes. The good team spirit continued to go through, carrying on the same line as back when, first of all, we returned to the Valley and we were getting sound players, good characters, which was so very important. But we got that promotion. Yeah. Now we were back in the Premiership and there had to be a bit of a change. And we we spoke about it and we had done so well the season before but just went down. And we had to really get the odd player who could perhaps be exceptional and turn a, a game of a draw into a win. Um, at the same time, that type of player, usually what comes with that sort of player, uh, sometimes a goal scorer, sometimes a playmaker, um, 
they don't do other things. They let the man go or something like that. Well, yeah. we've got Klaus Jensen and Mark Fish. Yes. Now, they weren't probably what Curbs had gone for before. We really decided that we must now be a bit braver in our attempts to, in, in going forward because we didn't get enough goals in that first hit. And Klaus came in and everyone loved him. He was uh, sensational. Now, in all fairness, Klaus never headed the ball. He had no left foot. He didn't pick up people at all. He spoke highly of you, Keith. Sorry? <laughs> he spoke highly of you. <laughs> I haven't finished it yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, this could also be that Bobby Ball. Um, <laughs> was, uh, fantastic at certain things. It's a big thing in football. Yeah. It's going to be absolutely top-notch in a particular area which cannot be stopped. Um, and But what he did have, and he didn't score lots of goals, but he was a maker of goals. He could cause problems. Um, and the, the crowd loved him. He was a crowd pleaser. And he could turn the game. Just when you're thinking, he's a oh, guy as well, what's going to happen in this game? It's, it's nil-nil. Okay, we'll get a point. And he would do something magically, um, as he did on several games. And the crowd loved him. The players loved him. And Mark Fish from the back, there would be... Out, doing outrageous things. He sometimes may give a goal away, but he would break up attacks when people were through, fast players were through on our goal, and he would make a great tackle from nowhere and then come away with the ball. He was like a squash battling centre half. He was, and, and of course, and of course uh, had his own unique chant at the Valley as well. Still <laughs> to this day. Well, yes, I mean, they. they crowd, the Mark Fish um, chant went out every time he played, but the crowd carried that forward when uh, when we had the uh, advert on the te- on the big screen for Ring Team and the fish going across the screen. So it, it, to this day, you still hear fish reverberating around the valley. But I mean, that all stems from, as you say, such a swashbuckling centre-half. That's a great term for it. Yes, no, it, it was exciting. Sometimes it was, uh, you know, heart in our mouth, uh, certain areas, set plays maybe, but he was exciting. I had all the time in the world for him, and uh, it was a real character, and he brought something different. And that's what it was. We had something different. So we were playing against teams that would perhaps we would draw against the previous time we were in the Premiership, and now we were getting a few three yeah. hundred in. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, uh, let's sort of set this up then for that season, our first season back there. We've won the Championship. We've lifted the Football League trophy uh, at, the, at a very um, happy valley, although we've lost 3-1 to Ipswich that day. Uh, went on to join us, actually, winning promotion that season in the playoffs. And now, as you say, you're rebuilding. You're rebuilding. You've learned from one year up there. You've learned from the fact of uh, the players you've had with you in the championship building. Now you're bringing in players of the quality of uh, Klaus Jensen, Mark Fish. And, of course, the striker. We spent a lot of money on a striker at that time as well, didn't we? We did. Jonathan Johansson. Uh, Jonathan Johansson came in, yeah, and um, talk to me about uh, how these players were scouted, Keith, because uh, 
Glasgow is still obviously we're aware of, but Yonatan was playing for Glasgow Rangers, of course. Yes, he was, and scoring from them, uh, for them. Uh, but during this period of time, just before, once we got into two thousands, uh, the club was growing. Now you can sense as we're talking about it, it was growing in every yeah. possible way. Even though it had the knockback of going down, we bounced back. Yes. And it, it was we hadn't been away for long, and uh, we were having good times. The building more was happening around the whole club, and there we were able to start. Uh, getting a few more staff in terms of we had uh, instead of just a, a chief scout we had a European scout in Jeff Batia. Yeah, and and as you say, off the field we were building the valley as well, weren't we? With the, yes, the, which, the North Stand developments and the uh, you know the the forty one fans who put twenty five thousand pounds in to yeah. help us uh, get back and build the North Stand. Quite incredible the, um, the North Stand investment. That, went into that and so growing the club off the field growing the club on the field it's yeah it's quite quite a team effort all round really Keith it, it was the whole thing you've just mentioned quite rightly so because you, as a assistant manager and a manager you're so involved in winning games and getting the good players in and that yeah and it's it's not that you forget how, how much was put into the club by so many people who stayed faithful to the club and wanted us to do well. This was it, but it was growing and growing. More people were coming around the club that had supported us and, and sponsored made sponsorship money available through those years, and it was getting bigger and bigger. Um, but on the playing side, we're certainly getting players like that, and later on, Sean Bartlett um, came from Zurich. I went out there to see him in one game. Well, he came on loan initially, Keith, didn't he? Yeah, I, yes, I believe he did. He came on loan from FC Zurich. Right, yeah. I I think it was a very short time because I think the fee had was agreed and I'm guessing it was between 1 and 1.5 million. I'd have to check that. Yeah. But yeah. that was the sort of fee. I went out to see him play. Curbs uh, was pretty much sure of doing the deal. He asked me to go out there just to see him play in this particular game. I was with Roy Hodgson in the hotel, which was very interesting to sit with him for an hour or so chatting about football because he was working out there. Yeah. um, So I went to see the game. I got there really early, and I'm glad I did because Sparkler was playing uh, and he's warming up, and he put a he got ten crosses coming in from each side in his warm up where he's heading the ball. He looked magnificent in the air. I'm now, before a ball is kicked, thinking, right, he's good enough for me. <laughs> and the ball hasn't been kicked. Was that a, an area of strength? Strange how things happen. It's was that a strength that you were particularly looking for? A, a, a big striker, a striker who could cause trouble in the air? Yeah, well, we wanted some. I've always felt that to have three or even four really good headers of the ball is vital at most clubs because set plays, 40% of the goals are scored from set plays. Yeah. So it, it is a vital thing. Now you have to do a few other things as well. But as I was saying about him, if I hadn't got there early, I probably wouldn't have seen the best side of him. But he, he played up front on his own and the mm. ball never really came off the ground. I think they had two set plays which he looked very dangerous at. 
and nearly scored. Other than that, it was you know he had one. Of, he just had about twelve touches in the game. Um, but I could recommend him uh, uh, back to Kerbs. As I say, he Kerbs had pretty much made up his mind. It was at the final push. I had a meal with Bartlett after the game and uh, with his wife, and it all went through. And he he was very he had a terrific career at Charlton. Did very well for us. No, no, he certainly did. But as you say, um, other players who came in in that uh, in that season, our first season back up there, Radiston Kishishev, of course. Yeah, <laughs> a, a great character, a terrific player, so hardworking, um, very popular with most of the crowd most of the time, and very popular with his own players because he he was. A, Good player. He had a very good football mind. Uh, he was quite cunning in what he did. But he also, he was willing to, at any time, if anyone needed to be marked out of the game, we would choose Kish. Yeah. Say right, we're going to put so and so out of the game, top player out of the game, and play ten against ten. That very seldom happens nowadays. It no. worked for us on several occasions with Kishishev being that man marker, which is used to do with Bulgaria. Yeah, I remember. I remember he played that role against Ronaldo, of course, didn't he? Young Ronaldo. He, he played he, Manchester he, United. Yeah, he, and he could do it. He'd follow someone right onto the, into the back into the toilets if necessary. And you know, <laughs> a lot of players, a lot of players, are, uh, you know, they like to express themselves at least a bit. But he was very, very disciplined. A great character to have. And we had now, if you're looking. And in these next few years, we're, we're having players like this coming into the club. And also, and it mustn't be forgotten, that the Rufus, the, the Steve Browns, Johnny Robinson, to name but a few, uh, are the, the backbone there all the time. And yeah. you had youngsters coming through, like Scotty Parker, Koncheski, Lisbian and Fortune. You know, very important, a lovely blend. Well, as you say, a, lo a lovely blend. So, you know, that first season um, back there, we finished ninth place, which which actually wasn't bad, Keith, was it? You know, Very first, good. first season back up. But just quickly, I want to talk <laughs> just very quickly, but we also signed in that time Iran's most capped player, didn't we? Karim Bagheeri. We did. And... Um, I think he played one game, one half of a game. But, uh, yeah. but why, why I mention it is because we, Peter and I, spent a very, very enjoyable afternoon at the Iranian embassy, talking about how, how best, best to sort of involve the, the Iranian population of London into coming and watching Charlton play, because we had Karim Bagheri and he never played for us. He didn't play. I don't know what sort of crowd it would have added uh, to that. Um, but we didn't get a chance, as you said, to see because he only played the one game. He was uh, very elegant and tall. One of the best, if not the best, midfield header of the ball that I'd seen, apart from someone like Kay, Tim Cahill, who was at Millwall. Yeah. Um, he was a terrific, and he could pass the ball and he could shoot from distance. But he he wasn't particularly pacey, and probably that stopped him from having a regular uh, 
place in, in the side. But he was absolutely, he never put a foot wrong. He never moaned. He didn't speak much English. But, and probably I remember him for something else because uh, as would happen to, to relieve the boredom sometimes of day-to-day uh, -day training, I had a, te a table tennis uh, league going where everyone's names who wanted to play table tennis after lunch would have a game of and, and play against each other. And he would be watching. This went on for about six weeks. Uh, and he had never, generally, just sat there smiling and watching the games. And uh, the, the best player was a fellow called Kevin James. Mervyn Day was good. I was, Brownie was good. I was Lisby. They were all good table tennis players. They had to challenge everyone. And then I, I said to Kareem, He's been sitting there for six weeks almost, not saying a word. I said, oh, do you play? <laughs> um, he just went, he shrugged his shoulders, yeah. Yes, I, I can play. He's, I don't know what accent that is. That's my Romanian accent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can play. Um, and he picked up the other hand, so I thought, oh, I'll take it easy on him. Well, never seen anything like it. <laughs> it, just, it was like playing you know, against Pele, and you were just a normal footballer. It, it was superb. I found out later that he, we mentioned through probably an interpreter at the time, um, that uh, he had actually played at an uh, international level. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, he must have been laughing inside as we were thinking we were terrific players, you know, playing on the table tennis table and working our way up the league. It was a gem that never got recognised, unfortunately, uh, on the field of play. And it's a perfect gentleman. Great, great story, though, Keith. So, um, so Keith, uh, that season, it's gone well for us. And some good players are joining us and will become iconic players later uh, in the Premier League years. But also, um, in 2001-2 season, we, of course, spent a lot of money on a player called Jason Yule. Yes, who um, had a slowish start for the first game or so, but um, he then started scoring goals for us and for the next few seasons was probably certainly top goal scorer for the first two two or three seasons, I think. Yes. He was our most expensive signing and he fitted in well. Could play midfield or up front. Um, did both. I preferred, funnily enough, I would always like to play in midfield because he could score goals by ghosting in. He, had a, he could float in like Martin Peters would back in the uh, 66 days. Yes. The World Cups. Yes. And I thought to have a midfield player like that. But, but he, he preferred playing up front and he did it very well indeed. And he played very, very well with Yonatan uh, as well, didn't he? Johansson. They were a good double act. Yes, because... Uh, Jason would hold the ball up more and Johansson would go in behind. He had the pace and he had a good start to his career with Charlton. Became a real firm favourite and he scored a lot of goals, particularly in the first season or two. Absolutely. And uh, as I said, there were some exciting games that year as well, Keith, weren't there? We were really establishing ourselves as a Premier League team now. Yes, as, as we've said about the whole club sort of building up. Now we go, um, I forgot what the date was, we go to 
Arsenal. Now, in all fairness, they have got a team, incredible team. Well, that was in the, that was in November, the Arsenal game, uh, and we were yeah we were playing at. Uh, well, I suppose it was Highbury then, wasn't it? Of course, it was. Yeah, it yeah. It was at Highbury. Um, I mean, just to think of some of the players who were playing then, it was incredible. Ashley Cole, obviously, Lundberg, Vieira, Perez, yeah. Henri, um, mouth-watering. You, you want to watch them play, but you don't want to watch them play against you. And, uh, you know, I remember the game so well because uh, Curbs and I were on that, uh, what I'd call the ledge of the, um, the director's box. So... I'd always sit up in the directors' box and watch the games. Curbs would often start the game up there, and um, now again go down at, uh, in the second half, or if necessary, he could go down after five minutes if he thought things weren't going well. Well, this particular game, we are being absolutely hammered. I mean, we are one nil down, and they it should be five, maybe six. Then Kylie's made a few saves. Brownie's blocked a few. And then suddenly, before just before half time, we've managed to get two goals completely. I think about ten minutes before half time, Brownie scored, um, and then Wright came in with a more or less an own goal as he's punched at the ball. We're two one up. Yes, we've yeah. been absolutely slaughtered. Curbs there. I mean, he, he was furious with a number of things that it was all going wrong for us and. We, we, we had so many people we were going to take off the pitch. <laughs> I think we, we were going to make seven substitutions. <laughs> we curved certainly was, but we calmed things down. As we were walking down to the dressing room, I thought, just blanket. We've got to come up with something here. We've been smashed. But we played it in a way that oh, they're beginning to tire. They've had European Cup games. They're not, this, you know, they're, they're tiring already. It's showing from up there in the stand. Um, well, we went out in the second half and we just kept going. I mean, it went to 2-1, 3-1, 4-1. And it's just one of the great moments. And then I think Johansson had a chance to make it five. And he didn't score. And Curves jumped up and smashed. <laughs> on the... Uh, Ledge in front. He said, Oh, that's it. He said, That's the one we needed. <laughs> and it, was so, it was so true because yes. you think you need to be three up against this team with Henri's out there for a starting score in any moment. Um, so it became nerve wracking. It became a bit more nerve wracking for me because this was, funny enough, Gavin uh, actually came on a sub to solidify. Well, I was going to say, Gavin, your own son, that joined yeah. us on loan, of course, that season. That's right, and it had a few uh, injuries, but this was the actual last last game. He sort of came on a sub, and um, we, we we managed to keep it fairly steady. It was we won four two. It was uh, a game to remember, and I think every child fan that was there that day uh, would have that as one of their iconic. Well, and, and Klaus Jensen's goal was just pure class. Well, and that, talking about Klaus earlier there. Klaus could do something like that. And he, he had no fear of um, opposition, in a way. It didn't matter who he was against. He had a smile on his face, 
which I think put put the opposition off. And I thought, what, why is he so happy as he's as he's bringing the ball towards me? He uh, just had that demeanour, and um, he was excellent that day. Your as was your hands and Jason Yule uh, were playing so so well. Uh, and of course, Keith, after that incredible game at Highbury, we then had a our next home game was against West Ham, and that turned into a four-all cracker. But why I remember that particularly was it was the last day of filming of the BBC Two job swap series, Turning the Tables, when I'd been packed off to Plymouth for the week, and the Plymouth CEO had spent the week with you uh, and Peter Varney at Charlton. And the last day of filming was that game, and this in, in the edit, the goals were shown, and it included that incredible overhead kick from Jonathan Johansson. Yes, it was, a, it was an outstanding game, and and really, just scoring four goals almost immediately after playing Arsenal and scoring four. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. The fans were getting their money's worth, you could say, in this particular time. Absolutely. Um, and obviously, it goes without saying, we had a very big crowd there. And, and um, if I remember correctly, Kitson scored a hat trick and Defoe. I think scored. In fact, I think Defoe came on a sub, and uh, originally our player was a youngster. Yeah, of course. Yeah. His time pro with West Ham, um, he came on, and it was. I think he's hurt us a few times uh, during his career, and um, but yeah, no, it was fantastic. And there was a Johansson goal at the end there that actually got the four-four draw, but, but it's incredible. But it was an, it was an iconic season in a lot of ways. And, you know, our biggest signing, um, we signed, we, we had people like Luke Young in the, in the squad who, who, went, who had a great career for Charlton Athletic. But I want to particularly mention um, one player we brought in, George Costa. Yes, George Costa. I, I hate the, the use of uh, the word, let's not hate the word, um, you almost have to throw something like a legend about can be thrown about too quickly very easily yes. yeah very easily and you, one always thinks really of legends they've played maybe seven or eight years or they've done something iconic like Mindonka would always be a Charlton legend because what he had to get Wembley took us up etc so but no one has become a, a Charlton in all my time a legend George Costa became a legend in three months <laughs> it was quite rightly though quite rightly though Keith, quite rightly. He, he was just outstanding wasn't he he came in and we played I think his first game we played at Chelsea and he just looked at you as very powerfully built no nonsense didn't say too much a little bit of English but very limited and in training he just gave the the opposition in the five-a-side or whatever look, which kind of said enough. And on the field, he played this game. I'm sure it's against Chelsea away, and he was he was now our big hard man at the back that no one missed with messed with. You know the way Rufus could be as well. But George was experienced and he knew what to do. He knew how to keep the right side of the referee. He would 
really bump into someone rather heavily. Um, <laughs> heavily, <laughs> try, yes. Try yeah. and make it look like a bit of an accident and, and put his hands up behind his back, pull back. He had all the tricks. He's a terrific player and made a big difference to our side. But that was the calibre of people who were turning up playing for Charlton Athletic. But I want to mention someone here, because you'll talk about him a little bit later, but someone who, who uh, played a big role in, in George coming was Jeff Atere, who was our overseas European, our international scout, wasn't he, at that time? He was, he was our international scout, and um, he, he did a very good job, because he would go anywhere. Yes, so and he can speak all the languages Yes, as well. he spoke four languages, uh, certainly French, Portuguese, Spanish, a little bit of English, because um, he comes from Luton. He's <laughs> 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 no, Italian, he's Italian descent, and um, he, he was so very helpful in every possible way. He but his cont- he had so many contacts, didn't he? And, and as a result of that, he knew... He knew that George Costa, who'd fallen out at his uh, home club, uh, he knew that to play for international football, he had to play at the, at the first team level. And on that basis, Jeff helped to get him out of Portugal and into our first team. Yes, you know, that, that is what um, his position and his ability to speak different languages made it that much easier. He was very valuable to us during these premiership years. And as I say, his willingness to go anywhere in the world. And we, we actually went to, a bit later on, uh, went to South America together. Yes, um, we'll, we'll, we will talk about that. But uh, right, we're moving on now. Um, we we finished, we, as you say, we, we finished always around the mid, mid-table um, but we tended to get a bit of a reputation for falling away at the end of the season. Yes, a lot of people would say, well, you, you've just almost given up now, you're safe. 40 points was a magical number. If you get 40 points, you've got 95% chance of staying in the division. Um, and we got it. Each year we seem to get it by the end of February, early March. Generally, we had 40 points, which was fantastic. We were never, and this helped. If you think about, you're building a club. Think of all what's going on, on every side around it. The sponsorship, the building for next year. Well, I was going to say, the sponsorship sponsorship around that time, Keith, we were doing doing huge deals with uh, uh, companies. All sports came in. Our season tickets were rising year on year. You know, we ended up with nearly 22,000 season ticket holders. Yes, exactly. Which is incredible, isn't it? it all that, all it, that going on. No, it, it was. And, and why, why I sort of mentioned this, uh, uh, although you, you brought it up about in, in March, we seemed to fade away and, and be anywhere from 7th to 14th in the league. But we were safe. And we tapered off, and people would think, "Oh, we, the players would think, oh, we've done enough. We're in the Premiership." Um, but it really wasn't. It was one of those things. I think, generally speaking, maybe we had one or two extra injuries as the season went on. Um, but the players were giving 
probably having to give a 120% in every game compared with some of those in the division that were probably better players in many ways. We'd love to see it with the Arsenal teams and that. Yes. We gave so much, so much early on that we probably tapered off. That's the only way I could explain it because nothing was different. Um, players became, different players came. It was always the same thing. We kind of just tapered off at the end. But... Uh, good positions we were getting in. Yeah, as you say, very, very good positions. Growing the club on the field and off the field, uh, you know, the valley was, was really taking shape. And um, we, we, now, we now move moving to uh, our third season. And players, players of the nature of Matt Holland come and join us. Yes, Matt Holland, and I think Herman Horizon came. And Herman Horizon, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Matthew Holland was the perfect pro. He got on with the game. He could score a goal. In midfield, he's your rounder. He wasn't a brilliant player on the ball. He wasn't like a Klaus, but he could run all day. He was honest. He could score in the air. He could play defensively. Um, he, he was a, a dream for a manager. And um, I remember, and Herman, well, Herman, the crowd loved him in, in a way that they would have loved Costa, George Costa for a short time um, because he was truly a devil-may-care centre-back. He could play left-back as well, but obviously we had Paoli there most of the time and Kaczewski. And Herman would take chances, be, put his head to anything, anywhere. And um, he did frighten the opposition. And obviously, a player like that, if he didn't make a mistake, he's bound to now and again. He gave, sometimes he had to give a penalty away. Um, but I think it was mainly because the opposition were diving. So he always told me. Uh, <laughs> but one game I remember, we were playing away to Birmingham. And now this is it. These games are like Birmingham, middle of the table, probably just... Uh, They'd be happy to be there. We'd be happy to be there, really, because to to go on into the European places is perhaps beyond us at this stage. We're playing at Birmingham. Herman gets a cut on the eye. Comes at half time. That's just on half time. In comes Herman, and uh, there's blood everywhere. His shirt is covered. He's Right, I take him along with the... The doctor wasn't there that day. And we had a few injuries. I think um, the physio was with someone else working on I took him into the uh, doctor's room, with their physio room. The doctor looked at him and said, no, uh, I can't sew that up. And he said, what? He said, I can't sew that up. It's just too big a cut. I, it would be a terrible mess for me to do it now. He's, he, grabbed, he grabbed the doctor's butt the wrist and he said, sew it up now. I've gone into my Icelandic accent now. I was going to say, you've moved on from Welsh. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting worse as it goes along. Um, and I'm watching it and thinking, oh, if that was me, I think, oh, so, yeah, just uh, saying the dress. Uh, I, I might have been inclined to sew it up as well if I'd been told to do that by her. Yeah, but that, that was him. He'd only said, okay. Anyway, he sort of 
roughly sewed it up as a huge gash. It was bandaged up. I mean, we went in and the blood was sort of seeping through the, the big bandaging and he, he looked a bit of a fright as he went back in the dressing room and Klaus and Scotty Parker were sat there and they looked at him. I thought they were both going to faint. <laughs> <laughs> Herman's ready to go. I mean, uh, Kirk said, is he okay? I said, well, he's saying yes. Um, but uh, many a player would never have gone out. He went out in the second half. He was heading balls as though he had no problem at all. We won 2-0. Matty Holland scored two very valuable goals for us when we won 2-0. But that was the sort of characters you had around at that time. And you can see why you got the name Herminator, didn't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Really. But as I say, it was a... It, you know, we, we were building our, our, our club on and off the field. We were holding our own in the leagues uh, the previous season. Uh, Scott Parker was nominated for PFA Young Player of the Year, although he lost to Jermaine Chinas, I seem to remember. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So we move, we're moving on. Um, we're, we're doing progressing as a club. But in... 2003-04, we, we also brought in a player called Paolo Di Canio. We certainly did, and uh, that was probably, so we're, we keep moving on. And I've got to say this, so what I noticed about Curves, he was having to be, but he be, became more ruthless in general, mm -hmm. trying to keep these upgrade trying to keep the basis of the team solid and sound and good characters. And we, we were still trying to go to the next level. Now, the chance came at the end of a, the, this 2003 season, I think it was, and we were at a dinner. I heard uh, through Peter Varney, actually, was the first one who told me that he may be available, spoke with Curbs about it, and... Um, the obvious things came to mind. Always oh, pushed over referees. Harry, in the end, had sort of given up on him. I think he sat down during the, in the middle of one match uh, with his arms flailing, saying, no one passes to me. Uh, so he had some, what you could call baggage uh, along there. But what a player. What a player, I I'd, I'd seen, uh, funny enough, I'd seen him. I'd gone to see uh, Steve Jones last game of the season, maybe on a Sunday or whatever. Uh, but I saw that this game, and like most scouts, you want to get away 10 minutes before the end. 
you know, sometimes even 15 to beat the traffic. I was at West Ham and I was watching the game, watching Jones who was playing and Di Canio was out there. I did not want to leave that stadium and I'd seen thousands and thousands of games, but just to see him on the ball was just magical. Yes. And here was a chance now to, to get him. And, uh, you know, we thought in the end, you know, Kerbs went for it and I thought that was a brave move. Um, and the right move, I felt he had, Kerbs had nothing to lose because if after two or three months Paolo hadn't done the stuff and it caused a few problems in any way, um, then perhaps he could, people would say, well, he had, he had a few troubles elsewhere. And, yeah, I mean, he was loved at West Ham and rightly so. I mean, he, was, he, he oh. gave great service to them, but he lost his way towards the end and that was our chance, as you say, to bring him to the Valley. That's right. And obviously he was, I don't know his exact age, maybe 33-ish. Yeah. He came in, Steve, he was immaculate in everything he did. He was out on the training field a half an hour before anyone else. Yeah. He he was a delight. He wasn't, he was doing everything professionally, encouraging people. He wanted the best. Um, and from a coach's point of view, to go out and have a session with him. And you generally know, even the Tausiansons, you kind of get to know what way he's going to... Chrissy Powell with his brilliant way of wheeling his way out down that left uh, with a dummy and come, bringing the ball on the inside of with his right left foot. Um, you get to know them. With the Canio, you did not know what he was going to do. There are times he completely fooled you. And this is inspiring for a coach or a manager to be watching this. It was absolutely tremendous. Well, he, he also had an influence around the club as well, a great influence around the club. And, and, and he, I mean, as you say, you know, the way he looked after his, himself, the way, the way he trained, incredible, incredible influence, positive influence. And we can't, we can't take away, he was also a great influence on the team as well, wasn't he? He was, because he, he was scared of no one. He knew how good he was. He never expected to make a mistake. If he did make a mistake, he was down on himself, like top players do get really annoyed with themselves. Um, but he, he was just outstanding when, whenever he went on that field of play. One big, big thing, he'd do things like this, psychologically change the game. We were playing Arsenal at home, they were as powerful as ever. Sol Campbell is the centre-half. And he said to Scotty and whoever else was in midfield, I'd be Mark Campbell would be behind me, trying to man-mark me. He said, just give me the ball. No, I mean, just give it to me. It doesn't matter how well I'm being marked. Mm -hmm. and, and really early on in the game, the ball was knocked into him. I think it was Scotty who knocked it into him. And... Instead of laying it off, which he should have done because he was being tied him up, he scribbled and turned on Campbell, slipped the ball through his legs and got like a plate of one-two with someone else. <laughs> one moment. Well, our team were flabbergasted because that's the sort of thing you think Andre may do against you. You know, we had to battle away. And now yeah. someone's coming and just said, hey, I'm not worried about this. Campbell's just another player. He's not as good as me. And, and he, he scored a penalty in that game. We drew 1-1. But his influence by his mood, things like that on the pitch, 
they gave other people extra confidence to think we're as good as who we're playing against. And he scored, he scored that, that penalty against Arsenal, didn't he? That, that, that little chip that completely deceived Lehman. Was it a Penelka penalty, wasn't it? Yes, well, who was the first one? Czechoslovakia did that. Penenka? Some Penenka, something like that. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, I'm sure some, someone listening perhaps will actually come up with the, the name. Um, yes, he did. And of course, you had to. He was a great penalty taker and uh, probably one of the, the coolest I've seen until I met Lyle Taylor. And well, I, I, couldn't say, yeah. I couldn't say many people are better than. Uh, Paolo at anything, but uh, Lowell Taylor became a uh, king of penalty taking in this new way of taking them that he had. But Paolo, yes, he, he influenced us, had great relationship with the players, and he loved you know, the industry of the midfield with Parker, Graham Stewart, Kishi Chef. You know, these players were, were very, very good. No, it was excellent, but we. Um, we we actually beat Chelsea that year as well, didn't we? That was the year we beat Chelsea with yes. Anio and Parker and Jensen all unplayable, more or less. Yes, it was one of those, like we said about Arsenal away, we won 4-2. To beat Chelsea at home at that time, when they were such becoming such a big club, was a tremendous feat. And we, we were... Terrific in every department, and it was a great match. Win, but unfortunately, it kind of put Scotty Parker in the uh, the top bracket of how good he was. Yes, showing through, and he was the, the, the heart and soul of the the team in terms of he was young, he was fresh, he was fearless, and. Um, Paolo would love him being there because what Paolo couldn't do, Scotty could make up for with his determination and willingness to do it with the job of two men in midfield. Uh, but sadly, um, Chelsea came in and took him away, took him away from us. And and you'd have to say, I suppose, Keith, that that did take the wind out of ourselves in terms of our in terms of our um, performances after that. Yes, you, you, you couldn't take a Scotty type, uh, Parker type of player out of a team for it to affect the team. Because I, I, I'd say it's like having an extra man in there because he wouldn't do what was probably the orthodox way of going to his man and then staying with his man there. He would take the chance, and this is what's good about special players, they... They take a chance, and when they perhaps you think, oh no, don't tackle, he would go and tackle, win a ball, completely fool the opposition, and then give a ball quickly to say to Canio, to Klaus Jensen, or whoever. He, he could do that. He could turn um, a weak position into a very strong position and a winning position. And he was going to be a, a huge miss. So we, we couldn't be played. We couldn't just go out and get another Scotty Parker. The club didn't want to sell him. In all fairness, the amazing thing was, here we are, we're building up and building up. As we're saying, you can imagine what's happening around the club in every possible way. And then he gets this chance to go to Chelsea, which is very difficult to turn down. But 
Uh, no, no, the directors said no, they wanted him to stay. And uh, to turn down 10 million or so was would be unheard of for Shelton. <laughs> but it became a situation where for Scotty, he had to go because the players get a chance to do something and get into Europe and get into a very big club like that. It was understandable. He gave his heart and soul, I feel, to the club every time he put on the Charlton shirt and went on to. Although yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I did think he, his career, England-wise, would have um, done, he would have got into the England side earlier if he stayed at Charlton. And I did say that to him. I said for, from your career point of view. But there were other things he had to think about and obviously his future. And the way he played, he could get injured any time because he was... Well, so yes, different. absolutely. That type of... The way he played, the way he, he put his whole, whole self into every tackle. Mm. Um, you're right. You know, he could have got injured at any time. But, um, no, it was a big blow. And, um, but we had to move on, as we always have done, uh, from setbacks and losing a star player like that was a setback but we moved on and um, kept, carried on growing the club off the field and, and, and on it and uh, around that time Darren Bent joined us of course yes yes Darren Bent came in and um, I'd just seen him just seen him once or twice once was at uh, Crystal Palace and he's playing wide right but more of a natural striker, really, but he's playing wide right this end. Uh, another good bit of business from Kerbs. Yes. Where he, he got Darren in, and um, I've forgotten how much we paid for him then. It was a few... Well, it was a couple of million, I think, but we got, yeah. him, from, uh, we got him from Ipswich, of course. Yes, so we, we got a, one or two goodbyes from Ipswich, and uh, Ambrose... Got Darren Ambrose, yeah, yeah, and and they played well together. Ambrose would score goals. Darren, like all good goal scorers, just wanted to in training. He just wanted to have the shooting sessions. I mean, I'd be with him probably forty-five minutes after every session, um, and the two of them would always be there. Plus, other players uh, would come in, but more they would be forever striking balls at goal and uh, live for there's so much so we actually started an early morning session for the for the strikers like Darren Ben uh, Ambrose like and Johansson yeah so we're growing the team and uh, establishing the club uh, on and off the field as we've said and players another uh, uh, celebrated footballer joined us Danny Murphy he did um, and probably just backtracking a bit, just to show how we're going. Because what year are we on now, Stephen? About 2004, 2005. Right, yeah. So that sort of season. Yeah. Well, D- Danny Murphy was, he was what I'd say the best first-time passer of the ball. So you imagine the ball coming to you at any height, and you're going to play someone through to make a goal, say, or a vital pass without having to control it first. So mm. many many good players can control it and give that Glenn Hodler chip, or uh, try to, um, 
But those who can play it first time and get the pace on the ball, so right, he was quite outstanding at that. He had obviously had a lot of time at Liverpool, and um, and he, I thought he would do even better than he did. He didn't quite uh, probably do the all-round thing as a midfield player. He could make goals, score goals. He had a terrific football brain and would be very good for the strikers in terms of making goals. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's uh, in that season, that, that close season, 2004-05, that we, uh, we went off to China, Keith, didn't we? Yes, uh, just before that, um, we, we went to, well, I went to, uh, through, uh, with Jeff Batia was already there, one of Zare's, uh, Curbs, um, mentioned that he really need to get to, we really need to get and uh, look at a few players out of South America and so which shows you the ambition of the club at that time as well doesn't it sorry which shows you the ambition of the club a- as well absolutely there, there I am I'm going first class um, meeting Jeff Atier who's already out there we're going to link up with the the agents of Tevez and Kurup Jian, um, in fact, I think he's been on the TV today, um, with the the owner of Tevez. But as I I arrived there, Jeff was already had gone ahead a few days before, and we we've been the company of people who own Boca Juniors, and um, Tevez deal was taking place. The first night, we uh, had a phone call. Uh, Jeff was always the interpreter. Um, and he's come and said, oh, Keith, they want us there uh, at such and such a restaurant. We picked up at 12.30. That's at, at night. We went, <laughs> yeah. for the, we went for the meal at 12.30 at night. Got there. Uh, some heavy-looking uh, gentlemen on the door. We, uh, we were rushed to take a bunch uh, taxi. You mean, you, heavy, you mean heavy in several senses, don't you, Keith? Yeah, in, in, in every possible way. <laughs> it's one of those you thought, well, yes, um, this looks as though no one else will be coming in here. <laughs> Other than special people. Well, we, we had an evening inside. The restaurant was sort of closed just for us, seemingly. And um, we had... The, the agency owners of uh, Bocker and it was a it was a real unusual sort of situation. Terrific, if anyone can get out there and watch some of the football in Argentina, do uh, get a chance to go because it's a cross between the English game. Um, and I'm going back to you know the mid two thousands as well. So yeah, it's moved more and more. Uh, general and a bit of South American coming in but then it was a passion of, uh, of what we expect in England but with the extra bit of the Latin thrown in and uh, the first game I went to see was Jeff and Jeff said oh there's this youngster playing he's, he's, he's only 15 and so I watched him and the first few touches and movement oh, and he scored a goal Name was Aguero, Sergio Aguero. I did um, 
write the name down and uh, we, we thought at the time it probably cost a million uh, it would have been a lot of money for Charlton to spend at that time but it was only 15 <laughs> and, and all sorts of people probably owned I mean Charlton wouldn't have spent a, well they didn't but they wouldn't have spent a million pound on a 15 year old Argentinian no, player at that time yeah. no it was just just beyond because if we were going to spend a million or even two million we, you, we needed someone was going to straighten the side and could, you know, score us at least 15, 16 goals in a season. Um, but it was, uh, I thought, well, you know, on the Murray Paul, obviously his name did go down. Mascarano, I saw playing against River Plate. And um, and it was just uh, so different, the enthusiasm and passion for the, uh, the game. It's like in England, but uh, probably even more so some ways and it was quite an experience that well Argentinian players uh, Tevez and Mascherano would come to the fore a little bit, a little bit further on in your uh, career in the uh, yeah. 2000 to 2010 era but uh, okay so uh, you've come back from Argentina and, and now we're off to China as I said uh, which was quite groundbreaking for the club at the time I remember um Working with Peter on 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 the on that uh, trip, and uh, the, the aim of us obviously was to build on our Premier League um, status and build links with Chinese companies while we're out there. So Peter and I had a lot of business meetings while we're out there with the local um, Chamber of Commerce equivalents, and um, we played two matches out out in China in intense heat. Keith. <laughs> It was very. I don't think like it. No, it was. Uh, it was a fantastic trip, um, and of course, Premiership clubs now, and especially the top ones, were travelling all over the world. They were going to Florida and Canada and uh, 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 the Far East, obviously. And um, when this came up, remember, Curbs, the type of uh, character he is as well. Um, Improving all the time in the way he was uh, managing players uh, as we were upgrading. He was moving all the time with the times and um, would soon be having a chance maybe to uh, be interviewed by uh, about the England job. Um, so it just shows you everything was bursting up. It was going up. We were exploding, you could say. Now... Pre-season, we would go two places. Woodbury Park, um, which is near Exeter, Nigel Mansell's place. He owns this, uh, where you've got uh, lodges, and it's a quiet area where you can play a bit of golf, train, and you were close to teams like Exeter, Plymouth, uh, Bristol, Torquay, and that was our pre-season. Yeah. Boring, because people, other players, Premiership side, and then we'd go to Ireland, Dublin. Yeah, so those, those are relatively boring places, you can say, in the big when people are going off to Thailand and Hong Kong and all this. But this came up, so Kurt wasn't too happy to begin with the thought of that because it unsettles your start in Canada. Um, but it was a tremendous experience. Uh, the players. Once they managed to adjust to the time difference, 
Yes. It did take a bit of time for many of them. Um, it was to see what was building up there. I don't know, you may remember the crowds better than I, but there must have been 30,000 plus for the... It, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to stay, stay at number, but they were big crowds. And, and Charlton were Premier League. I'll never forget when we had turned up on the second... We played Janli Bell Shenzhen in the first game and we played Guangzhou Sunray Cave in the second. Strange names, but uh, uh, I'll never forget when we turned up at the second hotel in Guangzhou and the reception that we were given. Uh, and it was the testament to the profile and the power of, of the Premier League brand internationally then, wasn't it? It was. It was that uh, they were getting more and more, not only into technology, but football was becoming huge. And it really surprised me how big it was. And it's particularly at the second place, Guangzhou, uh, I probably pronounce it incorrectly, but it's in the Canton area there after we'd left Shenzhen. And um, they had a very big crowd there that day. Mm. And, um, it was a great experience. It was so hot, though, it made it very difficult to judge whether players were fit or not. But from the PR side of things, the experience, it was a fantastic... No, it was. And I, I, it was certainly an incredible trip for me to be on personally, and uh, now I remember it. But uh, while we were away, a couple of big things happened that I think we should mention was um, we lost Klaus Jensen. He was transferred to Fulham. And we missed out on a player who I know that you particularly wanted to bring to the club at that time. Yes. Uh, Klaus, well, you know, it was always going to be a big miss because he was so popular amongst, uh, as I've said, fans and players. Um, and But because of the time difference, it was so difficult to be for Kerbs to be in, in touch with um, Richard Murray all the time. And, and you can't get to a player. And um, he had done very well, Kerbs himself, for many years when uh, probably with Richard at, at times but sometimes just on his own going one-to-one -one with the player and talking them into a, making a big point of getting them to, to the club and it was um, it was during that period where we couldn't really get hold of things Klaus, Klaus went but that, that had to happen I think at that time and uh, but we wanted to replace him with Tim Cahill and um, we lost him to Everton and I think Kerbs always felt, oh, had we, had we not gone on the long trip, <laughs> we could, could have probably got to him uh, better. But that, that happens, you know, that happened. And Cahill went, again, again, a magnificent head of the ball. I mentioned about Vergara uh, being one of the best headers. This, as a midfield head of the ball, was unstoppable. He scored some terrific goals. And had a, a fantastic career at Everton, as we know. So one that got away, but London's got away. You can't get. There's an awful lot that didn't get away, and ended up making, giving the Charlton fans some exciting times. Absolutely, I think mean, a couple of players, sadly, that we uh, said goodbye to that year. Um, calling to my my memory, my uh, Richard Rufus sadly retired at a ridiculously young age and uh, Chris Powell left us for West Ham yes and Richard 
obviously I went back from the first day I returned at 91 Tim him as a young apprentice who was always going to be a winner I played him in the reserves early and he was uh, he would throw anything his whole body at people to stop him from scoring and uh, he was a, the great destroyer and he was so, so sad about his injury and he he would have been a, a top top player um, and of course Chris Powell, uh, what an influence he had around the dressing room. An excellent player. Um, for someone who wasn't a crunching fullback, and he was quick, but there would be quicker fullbacks in, in the division, but they couldn't turn as quickly as him. He was so quick on actually turning. And, um, and he had this one trick, which I've already mentioned, that would fool everyone in training every day. And if someone is in a tight situation at the Valley or where Man United, he would pull this dummy and squeeze past the oncoming uh, forward that was trying to close him down, and that would give him extra time to make a good pass. But a terrific man, we were very lucky to have him all those years. Uh, and of course, he, he went, he represented England, which was an incredible achievement for, for Chris, and we were so proud of the fact that we had a Charlton player representing England and that it was Chris Powell. It was a very special, special day for us. Kerbs and I drove up there to Villa and uh, watched Villa Park and, and watched him play and it was a proud moment, I'm sure, for Kerbs for having resurrected, in a way, his career. And um, but they're still doing well at Derby before, I think, he came to us, but he went on to another level and became an international and he's in his 30s, uh, true top character. So let's, uh, let's uh, carry on our journey, uh, Keith, and um, we're into 2005, and of course 2005 being the club's centenary season, and uh, I had the honour of being the centenary chairman, uh, committee chairman, and we raised the money, the fans contributed all the money, to build the Sam Bartram statue, uh, to, which was our, our our main project of that centenary season. Yes, and uh, yeah, great statue. And so I, I knew, knew Sam in the beginning of my career, and um, he was a lovely, lovely man. And obviously, I had the pleasure and privilege of actually seeing him play in a couple of games right at the end of his career as a young toddler or not a bit more than a toddler um, and uh, it's great to have had that recognition and have that stature. I didn't realise he was as tall as that but uh, <laughs> what, nine foot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, about nine foot six which uh, <laughs> would get, get him these days the way the high players are going to it may, he could be a tricky little winger it could, it could be, Keith, yeah. But, uh, so it's an interesting time again. Uh, sadly, all sports, our sponsors uh, went bust. Um, they've been great sponsors for us, but they went bust. And it's at this time that uh, you and I are both ambassadors of Charlton's Community Trust, but I was commercial director, and Jason Morgan, CEO of Charlton's Community Trust, played a huge part in supporting the pitches I was making to replace all sports as a sponsor and that turned into the Lanera Spanish sponsorship. 
uh, which was the biggest ever sponsorship deal in the club's history at that time. So um, it's our centenary. We've now got a brand new sponsor in terms of Lanera, brand new for them into this country as well. And uh, things are things are carrying on on the field. And what do you remember of that season particularly? I mean, Darren Ben was quite prolific at that period. Yes, if I'm going my season's right, and I think I am that season, between the 2005-06, yes? Yes. Um, Darren came in, and we played five across the midfield and one up front. Darren was up front on his own, and um, we went to... And we had Smirton around that time as well, didn't we, kids? Smirton had come, a real character. Uh, he was only about... Nine seven eleven. Yeah, bring him wet. Uh, yeah, he, he, but he's a great, great skills with dribbling the ball. Uh, Murphy could play excellent on the ball. You've got um, and we got a fellow called Jerome Thomas, who became very useful. When he could carry the ball up until we had Romadell, who was the fastest team we'd ever seen. Yeah, he, he may not have reached uh, the heights he should have done with that speed. They, uh, the Premiership fullbacks used to probably stay away from him a bit, and uh, uh, he he did score against Crystal Palace. That was a major thing, wasn't it? Um, but um, yeah, we had players who could run with the ball, get up the field, dribble out of trouble, and we started the season superbly. I believe we won four of the first five games, three of which were away from home. Yeah, yeah. So what a start that was! You're you're almost you're almost safe, you could say. <laughs> With a start like that. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, um, at that time, Darren. Darren Ben was was the most prolific striker, I think. And um, but I remember that he wasn't taken to the World Cup, and uh, that's when that's when the surprise seventeen year old Theo Walcott got ahead of him in the team selection. Yet, yes, it was a bit of a nonsense decision because Darren was was the Premier League striker at that time, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Uh, he was red hot as well. He came. Into the side, started well, carried on scoring goals, and um, yeah, exceptional player. Just lived for scoring, and, and he was honest. And he was a bit like Lineker in a way that when the ball was laid into him, he wanted to give it to a midfielder, knock it to a wide man, and get in the box and, and turn players on the side. And Lineker would be like that, and the, and that's why Darren did so well. Uh, scoring goals for us and, and in that particular time as well. But as I say, it's our centenary season. It's all going on. Uh, and we've got uh, uh, the team doing reasonably well again. Um, and uh, as you say, started the season superbly, doing doing well. Uh, players coming, carried on coming in, uh, doing doing another great job for us. The women's team won the Women's FA Cup that year. So it's all it's all happening, but of course that was also the season that started to see 
the change in management scenario that was going to happen. When did you get first get wins, Keith? That curbs that might that's going looks like it might be his last season. When I first get wind of that was, we've got Blackburn at home, the penultimate game of the season, and we we'd always meet about eleven thirty in the morning, eleven o'clock, have a pre-talk and then something to eat, and so it goes. Uh, Curbs asked uh, to see myself and Bervin, and he said that I'm leaving the club uh, now and uh, I won't be manager next year and uh, it came as a total shock Mervyn was like his jaw dropped in shock and he, he hadn't he had the talk he said he'd had a talk with Richard Murray the night before and it was decided best interest of uh, he had a year of his contract to go I believe but it was decided that um, he should come away. You know that was a decision, and um, but it came as a, t- a total shock. Was, I didn't see it coming. Mervyn didn't see it coming. We had another uh, decent. You, you more, really more than decent. Coming. You really didn't see it coming, Keith, at all. I mean, I know that year also. Curbs had been touted for an England job as well, hadn't he? Yes. He had, and, and I think quite rightly so. But you, absolutely. No, you, absolutely. You know, when you're working with someone and for so many years, uh, you can take things for granted, and often when you look back and you think, oh, yeah, he, he's done very well there, and he would have been ideal. It was, it was, uh, it was, would have been a good decision to have him as the England manager. Uh, so that was a, something that happened, which made him more valuable property, as it were. Um, and so, but also, I, I think um, when we had that, what was our best team together um, in, in the season before, whatever, with uh, Scotty Parker playing, that we, we lost him and uh, we needed to go on and still get better players. And it became becomes more and more difficult because the prices for players is going up and up all the time. And to compete uh, with the, the big guys, that, that top six is really out of bounds. And yet, because when you keep coming in the middle of the division, people, the fans, and especially the newer fans, thinking, well, come on, we've got to get into the uh, Europe or, or get to Wembley in a cup, um, which didn't quite happen. So it was a shock. Um, he got a, a nice farewell at the home match on that day. Well, um, we all gave him a guard of honour, didn't we, on the pitch at that yes. time. And uh, that was the home game against Blackburn. Uh, and he had one game left, uh, which was the away game of Man United. It was. And and very fitting that, uh, funny enough, Kerb said to me, OK, that, that's, I've, I've you know, finished now. I've resigned now. I'm leaving the club, really. I, I, to play another game... Um, he didn't feel he should really do that. And at the beginning of the week, he said to me, "Look, I'd like you to take it," which was very nice of him, you know. Um, but uh, I, I felt he should still be there and to be against Man United and Ferguson would be a, 
someone who has influenced him as well from afar, I'm sure through the years. Um, And he did change on that and quite rightly uh, took the team out and led the team out. Uh, It would have, yeah, it was a a special day. We we did get beaten, I think, quite. Yeah, 4 0. 4 0. It's close, though. They got four breakaway goals. We had. But yes, but so it was the end of an absolutely fantastic career, one of the best that any managers have had um, at any club, probably, over the years. Well, you have to take away the, the, the top teams that are always going to be winning games all the time. Um, but no, in, incredible career and incredible what he did for Charlton. So this is, uh, these are your reminiscences, Keith. So what was Keith Peacock thinking? Now, at this time, here's here's Curbs leaving. Um, you were his assistant manager. Uh, it's the end of the season. What what were Keith Peacock's faults at that time? Well, uh, Mervyn was brought in by uh, Curbs um, was automatically leaving uh, at that time, and uh, so as you once that Manchester United game finished. It was uh, just end of that. I was still under contract at the club, and I, I spoke to Richard Murray, whether it was in the next week or whatever, uh, about managers for the future and different ones were mentioned. And did you think you might be offered it, Keith? No, no. I, it was uh, the wrong time for me. Now and and the club needed a manager that would have been younger than me. I felt at that time, and also that uh, perhaps had significant uh, uh, experience playing in the as manager in the Premiership. That's what I I would have thought uh, would be working on those lines. And um, no, that that wasn't what I was looking for at that time because uh, I actually in the meeting with Richard, who was terrific. Uh, about it. I said, look, we were talking about different things. I said, look, I think I've got to get my sort of situation sorted out. I think I'm best now uh, leaving leaving the club on this. I've got a year of my contract. We can sort something out there, um, uh, which we did. And uh, I wanted to have a. I've been at, in the game for all those years. Then, yes, uh, without a break. I'd only been about four or five months not working. It, it, since I was 17 and I was probably 61 then so it's a, a fair bit of time in itself you know 40 odd years then yes so I was ready for that rest sit back We've done, I've been part of a, a trio you could say uh, obviously Curves the main man Mervyn and myself there and, and had a ter- wonderful time and great time to leave in a way and that was my thing I'm now going to perhaps I was hoping, and probably I mentioned it would be nice maybe in a few months or maybe years to come back to Charlton in some other capacity, not necessarily on the player, you know, the coaching side, something else. Uh, it was just left like that. Richard, we were stunned. I said he had a clean slate then, the club, to bring in a whole new team because I think that's what you need in the Premiership to run a team. You need the the top two or three people 
uh, as new and fresh. So that's what happened. I was, uh, I decided to go. It was all settled, and but my retirement didn't last too long. <laughs> no, no, it, no, it didn't. Lorna, on that. Po- okay, it's recording. Okay, well, thank you very much uh, indeed, Keith. Now, uh, as I say, that's uh, the 2000-2005-6 season when Keith leaves the club again, and that's a good place for us to leave it. But just to remind you that if you are enjoying these these series of discussions between myself and and the legend that is Keith Peacock, please do consider making a donation to CACT. It is a very, very, very important time for CACT at the moment. Um, trying to do their bit as they always have done in the community so please do- consider donating to cat.org.uk forward slash donate and any amount you donate will be very gratefully received so thank you very much and we'll see you again at the next one ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 